Hello, and welcome to the Being Well podcast. My name is Forrest Hansen. I'm here today with my father, Rick Hansen. He is a psychologist and the author of the books Hardwearing Happiness, Buddha's Brain, Just One Thing, and a whole bunch of other material that you can easily find online. I'm really excited to be here. It's going to be really fun today. So, Dad, how are you doing? I'm really good, Forrest. It's always great to talk with you, although I don't know about where the recording going, but let's do it. So, this is a little bit different, and it's possible that my dad has already started to squirm a little bit. Definitely. All right, because we're going to be talking about relationships. That's sort of been the theme of the month so far. We've covered a lot of content relating to intimacy, autonomy, empathy, speaking from the heart, a variety of really big topics that are really important. They're all fundamental inner strengths that are built around interacting effectively with other people while also maintaining a kind of strong sense of self. Now, for me, some of this stuff can kind of get a little bit abstract. So what I would like to do today is kind of take some of those ideas and put them more in the practical, in your felt interactions with other people. Great. Yeah, we're going to kind of take the concepts, apply them to some sort of more practical situations based off of your, you know, 30 years-ish of experience plus. as a, yeah, 30 years plus experience as a psychologist, family therapist, working with kids, which I know that you've enjoyed a lot in the past. Mm-hmm. So I would like to begin by looking at some big problem areas that people tend to have when they're interacting with each other. Are there maybe a couple of big areas, say three, that people just tend to have really big problems in when relating with one another? It's a great question, and obviously it's one that's personally relevant Mm -hmm. and maybe even relevant in our relationships, who knows, as well as in uh, professional settings, long-term relationships, intimate relationships, and Mm -hmm. so on. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I had to choose three... Mm-hmm. Right now, the first one I would pick is issues with individuals not taking care of their own needs and that backfiring in relationships. Okay. You know, there's a place in life for setting aside your own needs for a while for moral purposes. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're raising a young child and you just, you know, have to take, set aside your own needs to do that. Maybe you're in a relationship with a partner who's going through some health problems or there's some other sorts of situations. But over the long haul, If we set aside our own important needs in relationships, after a while, we start to run out of gas. Yeah. And then we're not good for other people Mm -hmm. as well as for ourselves. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, so the normal, um, the normal thinking about that would be that that is a, an issue that women tend to have more often than men do. You know, you're setting aside yourself in favor of the greater good, whether that's raising a child or caring for a family. Whereas men would traditionally um, be a little bit more assertive, be a little bit more distant, have issues with intimacy or other things like that. Would you say that that's, that kind of traditional thinking is more or less accurate here? Or do you have some kind of different perspective on it? Yeah, um, I think there are different uh, causes mm-hmm. of people setting aside their own needs. And um, if you're listening to this, you might do some exploring right now live in, hmm, what might ring true for you? So sometimes those causes do sort in terms of what's called gender socialization. Yeah. Of course, as a caveat, as people understand increasingly, gender is a, can be a fairly fluid category, mm-hmm. really, both in terms of biology and in terms of culture. 
That said, uh, it is certainly true, as much research shows, mm -hmm. that there's a tendency, sure. with many individual exceptions, blah, 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 for, let's say, girls and women to be socialized into, uh, in all kinds of ways, including subtleties of just the models that are presented to them of what it is to be a girl or a woman, uh, can be you know, influenced, trained, uh, taught into ways of being in which they set aside their own needs, especially related to autonomous, full self-expression and assertion for the sake of keeping the peace. There's mm -hmm. a saying, yeah. harmony over truth. And there can mm -hmm. be a choosing of harmony over truth. Be out of fear that, well, what will happen if I actually speak truth, including truth to power? Uh, and of course, taking this into, uh, to, to consider this about gender socialization for women, to some extent, this is an adaptive, appropriate, understandable strategy when you're functioning in a social structure in which there's so often a playing field that's tilted against you, in which you're dealing yeah. with power structures of various kinds that in which it's dangerous as a mm -hmm. female to assert yourself or to push against the tide. It's also the case that often for men, uh, they're socialized to set aside needs that have to do with vulnerability, falling apart, dependency upon others, not being a strong warrior, and sure. all the rest of that. And um, I certainly um, experienced a lot of that myself growing up as a boy mm -hmm. and then a man in which uh, my models of what it was to be a good person, mm -hmm. particularly the male version of a good person, did not involve uh, being needy in any way, shape, or form around other people. Don't, you know, being caught uh, irritated, that was easy. Caught needy, oh my gosh, that sure. was like, you know, a felony offense for me as a guy. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, in a lot of ways we underestimate the ways in which those kind of social pressures inform our gender-based decisions and our relationships and kind of the roles that we naturally take on. Um, I certainly have a lot of friends where they're in a relationship and the woman is the more assertive one and the male is the more um, receptive, desiring of intimacy one. You know, I think that's that, interesting. You're right. It flips both ways. Yeah. To be really you know, clear. And, um, and that's great, you yeah. know, and, and that's perfectly wonderful. And I think that there is not to opine here for a second, but there is a way in which recently... Why these, stop now? I know, right? <laughs> Once it's never stopped me in the past. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's a way in which we've become more culturally comfortable in the last 20 years, probably in particular, with deviations from these kinds of gender norms. And I, I just personal opinion, I think that that's really great and probably on the whole has made people a lot happier. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah, well, then, uh, just wrapping up this first of For the sure. three, mm -hmm. um, I think there are two other kinds of causes of setting aside one's own needs that are worth flagging for people just to think about. Um, one is culture. Mm -hmm. Cultures vary uh, having in terms of how acceptable it is to be strong uh, and explicit and even confrontational in terms of the expression of your own needs. Mm -hmm. And uh, cultures similarly vary in the degree to which uh, they're okay with uh, one person making another person uncomfortable. In hmm. some cultures, mm -hmm. that's absolutely an anathema. Yeah. Uh, whereas in others, it's just, you know, the stuff of everyday life. Sure, yeah. So then the, the other major thing that happens for people, and this is really important to reflect on, is when you were young, was the expression of your needs and wants encouraged in your family with mm. obviously reasonable boundaries and you know healthy expression mm -hmm. of parental authority? Or 
was uh, were certain wants and needs um, mm-hmm. shamed, suppressed, uh, disappeared as if they didn't exist, or otherwise uh, not rewarded, or was the expression of wanting and needing in general mm-hmm. shut down, shamed, pushed aside uh, in your family in terms of what happened to you directly or what you saw perhaps happening around you? Yeah, and I think that uh, a lot of your content in the section on speaking from the heart Um, that you've done and that we're going to have in this podcast really kind of relates to that in terms of sensing your deep needs and feeling comfortable with expressing them. So I think that that's really great. So that's looking after your own needs. That's number one. Number one, caring for yourself just as much as you care for other people. Yeah. So we're talking about issues. So first issue, not taking care of yourself and running out of gas. Great. Second issue, anger. Sure. (laughs) It's really interesting. In studies on primates, the... Uh, communication, the signal that is always the most salient in a mm. primate band mm-hmm. is anger because it is a, in, a very clear signal of threat either coming at the band or inside the band. Mm-hmm. And you can say, see the same thing in ordinary human life. Yeah. You know, for example, uh, you're in a busy restaurant, it's loud, it's noisy, you know, everybody's yapping at the top sure. of their lungs. And then suddenly you hear a voice in anger, genuine mm-hmm. anger, mm-hmm. including if it's sort of like a whisper, like, put down that napkin, sure. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, the whole every, restaurant yep. gets instantly quiet, mm-hmm. like, what's going on? So in terms of relationships, there is certainly a place for anger. Anger is a healthy, normal response, tells us lots of important things when it comes up inside ourselves and it's important to discern it in other people. Mm-hmm. It's a natural reaction to frustration or pain or mistreatment or injustice. And I'm not saying anything uh, against um, being appropriately outraged or fiery or sure. strong or fierce yeah. about oppression of various kinds, including in intimate relationships. Sure. And all that said, though, wow, when I look back on my relationships... Almost all of my mistakes in relationships had anger at their root. Yeah, no, I think it that that's, yeah. th- that's a real takeaway. I think for a lot of people that I certainly can't think back on many moments where, where I was truly like deeply angry and responded in an angry, aggressive manner with somebody else, certainly with somebody I was in a relationship with, right? Yeah. And I, I look back and I go, wow, that was really the right call. Yeah, right? right? Like, that's so Oh, uncommon. yeah, let's just rage at something. Yeah, let's just get, oh, wow, I'm really glad that I just got so pissed off at that person in that moment. Like, yeah. that's just not, that, that's not something that um, I, I think is very, very common or very salient for people. Sure, there are times where it's appropriate yeah. to assert yourself and to say, yeah. you know, here's where I draw the line. Yeah, I think of it as a yellow flag. I think there's a place mm-hmm. for the appropriate expression of anger yeah. and relationships that put a lid on anger mm-hmm. or in which, as I grew up in my own family, in which only the parents have a monopoly on anger sure. or in relationships mm-hmm. uh, among or between adults, that's problematic. And I mm-hmm. think there is a place for a certain, you know, you don't have to be so perfect in your communicating. It's okay to be kind of ragged and fiery. But the question is, does it stay within bounds and does it and in a healthy resolution. Yeah. Those are the key questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I say it's a yellow flag. So when you do express anger or you feel angry, I think it's really important to be careful about it, to feel it inside, and to find ways of communicating that have a quality of gravity, dignity, self-respect, seriousness. You, mm-hmm. know, you, you, know, you know, you really mean business here, but without tipping into raging at people, 
threatening violence or getting violent, mm-hmm. um, going over the top, uh, blowing their mind, mm-hmm. um, you know, saying terrible things that you, re- you regret later. Yeah. I have a little personal uh, practice I do for us. I don't know if I ever told you. Okay. It's that uh, I imagine that there's a video camera in the corner of the room, okay. and it's recording me. Mm-hmm. And the recording is going to be played at fill yes. in the blank. Sure. The Board of Psychology. Yep. Your wedding, my <laughs> memorial service, sure. your sister's wedding. Hopefully, mm-hmm. these days will come, uh, or or who knows what. And just thinking about that helps me kind of govern myself a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. No. That that makes total sense. And I think that that kind of segues actually pretty nicely into something that you mentioned to me outside the room. We were talking about man, one of the struggles that people have is bad repair. Yep. You know, having an angry incident or having an emotional outburst, having a sad moment, you know, whatever it might be. And just not being able to recover from that very well with others. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's the third flag for me uh, in life in general or when when people are walking into my office, let's Mm -hmm. say as a couple, or they're describing a relationship, uh, bad repair. And And also, really importantly, non-repair of the lack of repair. Mm, What I mean by that is that uh, relationships are a little bit like a bicycle. You're riding a bicycle, you're constantly tipping from one side to another. It's an ongoing process of repair. We don't fully understand each other. Uh, Things come up. Things are imperfect. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. we're busy. Uh, It's hard to say things clearly. We're upset about something. Maybe on the surface we're angry, but underneath that is hurt. And then deeper down, it pulls up unresolved childhood issues, unmet Mm -hmm. needs, Mm -hmm. the way we were teased or bullied, whatever, in junior high school. It's a mess. So (laughs) it's okay. We've all got issues. We've all got some issues. Everybody has issues. Exactly right. And so the point is, not that we have issues, but can we repair them? Can we clarify misunderstandings? Can we reestablish rapport? Can we clean up our mess? Can we admit fault and move on? Can we uh, make amends? Can we negotiate? Can we repair? And uh, for me, it's a flag when there isn't repair of problematic interactions. And I'll say something very, for me, I think is important. Relationships are built from interactions and interactions are built from turn-taking. Back and forth, back and forth, back and sure, forth. Sure, yeah. And you can see when A communicates something to B, including non-verbally, mm-hmm. does B respond to it reasonably, do the best they can with it, and then send back a response, so kind of like a volley and ping pong or yeah. tennis or volleyball. D- does B send back a response that A can do something useful with? And along the way, do they, each person, do little things to stay in rapport with each other, to keep reestablishing a basis of understanding, alignment, you know, some kind of productive framework for the relationship, even mm-hmm. if they're grappling mm-hmm. with something difficult or yeah. maybe negotiating something hard as adversaries. Sure. But at least they're staying inside the lines. And if those volleys are successful, mm-hmm. that builds healthy interactions and healthy, satisfying, productive interactions build healthy relationships. That makes sense. Yeah. So you can look really hard at the last upset with somebody and yeah. you can ask yourself, mm-hmm. wow, what would have made it go better? What would have helped it go better? Mm-hmm. Particularly if we'd been able, to, number one, to engage repair along the way. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that we can't engage repair on the, along the way, which is hard to do in real time, could we have engaged or can we now going forward engage repair after the fact? Kind of like mm. retrospectively, yeah. where you replay what happened, talk mm-hmm. it through, and in some useful way, try to zero in on, as individuals, 
what do I need to learn here to move forward? And also, what can I do to the maximum reasonable extent possible? Sure. Those are two key words, maximal and reasonable yeah. extent possible. Yep. To what extent can I take care of the needs of or respond to the needs of the other person and vice versa? Mm-hmm. Right. And then if you try to do that, if you try to repair on the fly or try to repair retroactively mm-hmm. and the other person won't repair with you, yeah. That's a serious yellow orange flag in a relationship. Sure, approaching red. Yeah, and then and to, then to take it a step further, if the other person denies the need for repair, uh, shames you for wanting to repair, blocks repair, attacks you for trying to repair, uh, or otherwise uh, does not repair the lack of repair, for me that's a very very big red flag. Yeah, so that makes a ton of sense, uh, and I think that that's actually. Just you were talking about flags there, your, your yellow flag, your orange flag, your red flag, right. whatever it might be. And you can look at these, these three issues, anger, not looking after your own needs, and bad repair with other people as kind of different kinds of indicators about the overall health of a relationship, yeah. right? And so, things to work on to help it get better mm-hmm. yeah, if, you're, if you're suffering in it. For sure. It makes total sense. Or you see that the other person is suffering. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, helping each other out, that matters too, right? So let's say that a couple walked into your office and they, they sat on the chairs and they're right. talking to you and they're saying, you know, Dr. Hansen, we have a really rough relationship and we need your help. Um, in their interactions with one another, say you say, oh, okay, well, what's rough about it? And they start telling you, what are some of the real red flags just in mm-hmm. their interaction with each other in that moment, just sitting there in your office yep. that make you immediately go, oh, like, that's a problem. Yep. That's something that probably is causing issues for them. That's something that we can look at as kind of a microcosm of more systemic things inside of their relationship. It's great. Yeah. Uh, and this is consistent with that, that idea that, you know, uh, relationships are built from interactions over time and interactions mm-hmm. are built from moments, turn-taking inside the, uh, inside the volley, if you will, of an interaction. Uh, flags. One is interrupting. Okay. It's natural to interrupt each other, and also cultures vary, and how do you know that the other person's not actually talking, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. That said, uh, there's a deep teaching about communication that says that it comp- has three elements to it. One is the overt content, two is the emotional tone, which could be neutral, and three is an underlying implicit statement about the nature of the relationship particularly in this third case, about the power structure mm-hmm. in this relationship, yeah. the dominance hierarchy, mm-hmm. which is very meaningful for us as social primates, pack mammals. Sure. So if people are interrupting, uh, very often it's a power maneuver. It mm-hmm. may not be deliberate. The person who's interrupting may not be trying to exercise power over the other person, but the actual effect is that it's suppressive. Sure, yeah, that, that makes total sense. Uh, just kind of thinking about it as you're talking through it right now, would you say that an, inter- an interruption shows a lack of empathy? Does it show that I just don't care about what you're saying? Like, where does that, that impulse come from? Is yeah. it just a pure power play? Is there, yeah. you know, what's up there? Yeah, uh, it makes me think about it because if, if you just think about good interactions between friends, let's sure. say, they're often interrupting each other, sure. particularly if that's their culture or mm-hmm. their temperament, mm-hmm. right? And there's a place for that because it's a form of dance. There's a mm-hmm. mutuality and a mutual autonomy in the dance. 
it's not abrasive. It doesn't breach the rhythm. It doesn't violate the rhythms that they've created for each other. Yeah. But when you see interrupting that breaks the flow mm. or has the effect, very often the way to think about what people do is the old line, follow the money. In other words, what's yeah. the effect? Mm -hmm. What's the function that's served, especially by a repeating pattern in a relationship, mm -hmm. both a function that's served for the individuals and at the level of the diet, if you will, the relationship, thinking mm -hmm. of it as the object of analysis, as it were, yeah. what function does it serve dynamically in terms of the relationship altogether? So very often what interrupting serves the function of is to shut down the other person's communication. Mm. And it and it basically serves the function of reestablishing a kind of familiar equilibrium inside the interrupter. So they're oh, not okay. overwhelmed by what the other person is saying, okay. or they don't have to listen to it, or they don't have to feel it, they don't have to feel the pain of the other person, maybe they don't have to take on board the issue or grievance, mm -hmm. maybe they don't have to feel uncomfortable, the interrupter. Uh, at you know realizing whoa I really did screw up there yeah you know it serves lots of functions okay so what you're saying here to me is that interrupting can be as much defensive as it is aggressive very if good that point. kind of makes sense great summary for us yeah you nailed it there okay cool no I mean that makes sense because you're good interruption by the way yeah hey there we go uh, so because you're trying to kind of protect yourself almost from the communication of the other person. And this is actually something that we could talk about for a moment. Um, one of my favorite pieces of, of Rick material, of dad material, is kind of this concept of the dreaded experience. Oh, yeah. That we sort of, we, we've talked about this yeah. personally, privately, many, many times, where different people have a kind of singular, deep, dreaded experience mm -hmm. that they just go so far out of their way to avoid. Yeah. And for some people, that's being really vulnerable. Yeah. For other people, it's feeling like a bad person. I know right. that that's one of mine. Um, yeah, it's just mine kind of too. feeling like a bad person. Yeah. I just hate it. Yeah. Um, and for different people, it can be different things. But I think that a lot of, and I would love your take on this, a lot of relationships have issues when somebody is kind of constantly pushing away that dreaded experience, particularly if they have a partner who kind of, brings it up in them right. once and twice, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I, I, it's a little reductive to say opposites attract, yeah. but I don't think it's that reductive to say that sometimes we are attracted to people yeah. who... Stir up our own dreaded Yeah, stir up our own dreaded experiences a little bit. Part, yeah, as in a deep-down adaptive search mm -hmm. for uh, growth and healing and resolution sure. yeah. around that sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Let me give you a very concrete example. Great. Uh, which sometimes sorts on gender lines. Okay. Right? And I know that's a special interest of yours. Sure. Um, so a classic situation, person A and person B. A uh, really hates the feeling uh, that, let's say it's a man and a woman, uh, that he has let other people down. That's mm -hmm. a really upsetting experience. Sure. Yeah. Then let's say B, in this case, I'm gendering it, as it were, uh, feels let down by her partner, perhaps her husband. Sure. She feels let down. Mm -hmm. And so she wants to talk about that. All right? Classic situation. I see it routinely in, in my office. Plaintiff defendant. And yeah. uh, I've re sure. I resisted that asymmetry for a while. I've come to realize it's usually kind of true. One person tends to have more uh, expressed uh, grievances. This is the needs. prosecutor. Yeah, 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 the plaintiff, as it were. Mm -hmm. uh, you did me wrong. You know, reproach, mm -hmm. uh, feeling aggrieved, 
you know, there are unmet needs here, or unmet wants, what have you. Yeah. And the other person um, is on the receiving end of that. Mm -hmm. And as a quick sidebar, that's a very important moment in interactions when you're on the receiving end of the wants of other people. Yeah. Particularly if they get communicated with some serious topspin, you know, including sure, wants yeah. that have an embedded uh, quality of uh, grievance or complaint mm -hmm. or moral fault finding yeah. in them. That's especially hard to deal with. And mm -hmm. maybe we can talk about that later or perhaps in another. Sure. Maybe in another one of these little conversations. conversations. Yeah. yeah. So there you have it. So what are we going to do? Game on. So A and B walk in the room, mm -hmm. right? A is the guy, he hates feeling like he lets people down. Sure. B is the woman, let's say, she feels let down. She starts talking about feeling let down. Yeah. And what happens inside him is his dreaded experience mm -hmm. of feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm letting people down, yep. starts getting stirred up. And that experience is dreaded because of multiple reasons. Perhaps when he was young and he was accused of letting others down, he was severely punished. So feeling like you let others down gets really rapidly associated to the expectation of terrible pain. Or maybe he saw other people being punished for letting others down. Or deep down inside, he had a parent who was ill or depressed, or he mm -hmm. had a sibling who had a disability, and he really, really, really wanted to help, but he couldn't. He couldn't do anything mm -hmm. about it. And that sense of helpless desire to rescue or, or save or protect, which I know is really present in many people when they're young, gets associated with feeling like I'm letting others down. So for yeah. whatever reason, it's a major yuck. So understandably, the person defends against the experience. Yep. Now, key point, the real location of the experience is inside yourself. And the mm. factors that stir up the experience are inside you but instead of dealing with it inside oneself in yeah. a kind of healthy, personal growth, therapeutic way, exactly, we commonly try to manage uh, the dreaded experience and avoid risking the dreaded experience by uh, operating externally, including trying to get other people to be different or sure. shut up. You know, stop and, bugging me or yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, telling me about it or yeah, you don't understand. Stop being such a nag, you know, whatever yeah, it might exactly. be. And then, and then, of course, you can kind of from there, obviously using that the exact sentence that I did, sort of fall into some of those very, very traditional gender tropes. Yeah, that's right. Where you, you kind of have the quote-unquote nagging woman and the yeah. quote-unquote like distant or stoic man. And, yeah. You know, and that, that gets into a whole other ball of wax that yeah. we probably don't need to deal with here, yeah. but, you know, it just creates problems. Yeah, and they're, they're, so you can see, first of all, the reasons for plaintiff defendant. Mm -hmm. You know, to the extent yeah. that defendant, I'm using these terms obviously, metaphorically and loosely, sure. right? To the extent that defendant stonewalls the plaintiff, or uh, diminishes, or minimizes, or teases, or undermines, or expresses in subtle ways contempt, yeah. which is another very problematic social signal in addition sure. to anger. Contempt is probably even worse yeah. in terms of its impacts on other people. Um, to the extent that that happens, of course the plaintiff is going to keep you know, knocking on the door, yeah. and round and round and round it goes. Yep. Um, so that's an example, I would say, of um, you know problematic ways in which people avoid risking the dreaded experience in relationships that also, as we're kind of talking about here, really undermine healthy repair. Uh, it was a huge yeah. breakthrough for me, Forrest, um, before you were born. Mm -hmm. uh, and I kept learning after you were born some years ago uh, that the actually most self-interested 
powerful and autonomous thing I could do was to be radically receptive to the grievances of other people. Mm. Wow. We normally think that the way to be me, be strong, be bold, or actually, you know, to the extent this is even relevant, manly, whatever, we think it's the best way is to build up walls, fortifications, Mm. or to counterattack, or do preemptive strikes on their issues or grievances or wishes or wants or needs or hurts or wounds in which we're implicated in some way, shape, or form. You know, we think, oh, okay, that's what I ought to do. Or maybe I ought to punish them for ever bringing up a criticism so they never, ever, ever do it again. Sure. But actually, that's the worst thing you can do for yourself inside a frame of narrow self-interest, mm-hmm. let alone in terms of a larger framework of benevolence, morality, kindness, and virtue. And so for me, it was really a trip to realize it was kind of a jujitsu, the fastest yeah. way to uh, get the other person to stop attacking me was to actually, and this is where uh, the creation, as we've covered in this month's themes, the creation of an internal strong sense of personal autonomy really comes in. Because only when you feel deeply rooted in your own autonomous space can you be radically receptive to the issues of other people. Because otherwise you just feel overwhelmed sure, by Sure, yeah. You know, uh, bold, like you're, being, you're knuckling under, bowled over, walking on eggshells and so forth. Yeah, no, and I think that that's a really great place to kind of let this sit, if that makes sense, because those topics all really weave in with one another, and they're all very interconnected. You've covered a lot of stuff here. We've talked about, you know, anger, respecting your own needs, having those issues of bad repair, having that roll into the red flags when people are sitting in your office, the interrupting, which often gets to those internal fears that people have about experiencing the things that are really painful for them. And that being itself kind of the most effective way to move forward in a relationship is by engaging with those internal issues rather than kind of putting them on the other person who's sitting there in in the relationship. Does that sound about right? Yeah. And if I could just uh, close maybe with one little uh, kind of final point, again, from my personal experience, Mm -hmm. um, When you start exploring this, when you start engaging what I've called elsewhere unilateral virtue, Mm -hmm. where I talk about taking maximum reasonable personal responsibility for lining out one after the other, the grievances or wants or unmet needs or complaints of other people, when you start doing that, notice what happens and how it feels. Sometimes the other person keeps banging on you even Mm -hmm. though you've really, really been delivering the goods. And I'm not saying this is a perfect strategy, but it's your best odd strategy for long-term health in your relationships. And when you do this kind of counterintuitive jujitsu thing, Mm -hmm. if you will, of really receiving the other person on the basis of a very strong unilateral stance of personal autonomy, when you do receive their issues and you uh, respond to them and you implement correction from now on and you're really really pretty serious about it and you do that notice it when it goes well because that will help you do it more and more over time yeah absolutely and that relates really to maybe the biggest theme in your work as a whole which is that idea of taking in experiences and taking in the good and really yeah, yeah learning from your experiences because a lot of what we're really talking about here is how do you get good at relationships, right? How do you get good at interacting with other people? And a huge component of that ultimately is about being comfortable with yourself, 
which is why we started this month with so much content on this kind of interaction between intimacy and autonomy, how building up your own inner reserves, your own strong sense of self actually leaves more of you to yeah. give to other people ultimately, which I, I think is, you know, outside of the truth of it is also just kind of a beautiful metaphor, if you will. Uh -huh. um, so I think that that's really a wonderful place to end. Thank you, Forrest. It's yeah. wonderful to be with you, really. Absolutely. This In was really to fun. Being your dad. For sure. Thank you. And um, thanks again for supporting the podcast. Uh, any subscriptions, comments, ratings of the podcast really do help us out. And we completely appreciate your support, which has been so wonderful so far. So thank you.